You're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 176th episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you like today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, we are continuing our conversation about self-discovery with Sporty King. Sporty, uncle, also calls himself the master of listening and works with military service and family members who want to become better listeners so they can become better citizens, employees, parents, and siblings. He does so by sharing his humor, corporate, and life experiences that additionally inspire his audiences to enjoy their personal and professional success. Since 2011, Sporty has been working with the Yellow Ribbon Reintegration Program, facilitating weekend seminars with service and family members going through the deployment cycle. During this time, he received the CHP, Humor Professional Certification, in 2017 through AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And in 2019, his SME, Stress Mastery Educator Certification, through the American Institute of Stress. He believes these certifications and affiliations have made him a better resource to serve his maternal and military families, and now for you. Still, he contends that his most precious title is uncle. Sporty is a proud uncle of over 30 nieces and nephews. Don't be impressed. He didn't put in the work. He is a native New Yorker where he started his 18-year career with the Wall Street Journal as a messenger in 1975. And after seven promotions, eight job titles, and two relocations, he retired as a classified advertising sales manager to eventually start his new messenger career as an inspirational speaker in 1994. In 1996, he finished as one of the top nine speakers in the world at the Toastmasters World Championship of Public Speaking. He's lived in Charlotte, North Carolina since 2010. Thank you so much for joining us today, Sporty. You're welcome. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for having me. I love it. (laughs) I've been friends with you since 2011 when we both started doing the Yellow Ribbon events, and I love being in your audience. So I thought I really should have you as a guest on my podcast, and I'm sorry I didn't think of it sooner. You mentioned that you have this flavorful twist on my podcast title. Can you share what that is? I'm Absolutely. curious. Oh, oh that's a great place to start because since you had life equals choices, well, mm. one of the things I created, I call them affirmations. Affirmations are, most people know the term acronyms, where an acronym just puts a word to each letter of something to make it easier to remember, like IRS, Internal Revenue Service. Oh, why would I bring that up so quickly? I call them affirmations because I not only put a word to the letter, but I bring the word to life by putting words to the letter that define what the word means. So for me, life is L-I-F-E, lessons intended for everyone. Oh, I like that. That's nice. Very good. And then you said something about how does that for you connect to choices? Life is a choice. Some people think, oh, no, I don't have a choice. I'm alive. No, some people can choose to stay alive or they can choose to die. 
Even in hospitals and therapy, when people go through some some kind of trauma or, or an operation, they say a big part of their healing is in their choices. There's an old joke. He just made me think of a, about a guy, and it's a long joke. I don't, I, but I'll tell you the punchline where he goes through all these things. And when he's on the operating table, the doctor, before they operate, they say, is there anything that you are allergic to? And he said, yeah, death. (laughs) He said, so operate on me as if I'm going to live, not as if I'm going to die. I've heard a version of that. And I think it's really true. I know that when I had my hot air balloon accident, I was told I would be in a wheelchair for four months and the doctors could not explain other than they said it had to be my attitude, how I was able to get out of that wheelchair and stand for a long period of time after only two months. They just couldn't believe it. And I do believe it had to do with the choices that I made. I could have sat around feeling sorry for myself that I couldn't walk, or I could focus on the things that I could do. And that's what I chose to do and focus on rehab and getting better. I do know that choices really make a huge difference. Even if we just go right quickly back, back one step back to the word choices and then to the affirmation life. It's lessons intended. See, so a choice is an intention. You can't get the lesson if you're not paying attention. As a speaker, as both of us as speakers, one of the things I always tell people when I'm coaching, I don't do a lot of professional coaching, but if I'm coaching somebody on speaking, they say, can you give me some tips? I say, yeah, don't worry about reaching your audience. Make sure you reach yourself. Because if your audience is not interested, there's Mm -hmm. nothing you can do. And so you don't blame yourself. But if you're delivering the right message, somebody who may have come not intending to listen or get the lesson will suddenly hear the message resonate. And they say, oh, wait a minute, let me pay attention. That becomes a choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. I'm curious, why do you call yourself the master of listening? I laugh, by the way. I thought about the intro. I said, ooh, that's a, car- that's a cardio intro, right? You- you gotta- <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It was a heavy lift, but we got it, through- we got it done. <laughs> and yeah, you mentioned my affiliation with Toastmasters International. And if someone's not familiar with Toastmasters, it's a worldwide organization that helps people improve their communication skills. Right there, the word communication, the number one communication skill is listening. A lot of times people hear communication and they think it's speaking. Oh, yeah, I'm a good communicator. I talk. I like to talk. No, if you want to communicate, you have to listen. That's why you get two ears and one mouth so that what comes out of that one mouth could be the quality of the quantity of stuff that you heard with your two ears. Toastmaster doesn't go into all of that explanation. They just say the number one communication skill is listening. That's part of why I call myself the master of listening. The other part is that when I started my speaking business, when I left Wall Street Journal and I decided to become an entrepreneur and become a speaker, I activated my gift of writing poetry. I'm a poet also. What I could do is I used to do what I call personalized poetry was one of my products when I first started. We could have a conversation for 45 minutes. You could say to me, well, Sporty, I want to write a poem to dedicate to so-and-so. And And I talk to you for 45 minutes about so-and-so. When I was finished, when we're finished, I could write a poem through your spirit to that person where they would think that you wrote it. 
And, wow. and so that's, that's yeah. So that's why I called it myself. That's where I came up with, oh, master of listening. Cause I could listen to you and not just hear the words, but hear the feeling behind the words that you talk about as you talk about that person. And now I can put some of those feelings into words and on the paper. It was one of my first quote unquote products or services, but it couldn't last because you can't really make that much money off of that until you get famous. Now, if Maya right. Angelou says, yeah, I'm going to write you a poem, you will to pay her thousands. But when Sporty King says, I'm going to write you a poem, it's like, ah. <laughs> Right. As people will say, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And I like to say, it's not about what you know, it's who knows you. It's not who you Ooh. know. Yeah, true story. I also like the idea of mastering listening. I talk about that because you know that I have a coaching program and I teach people how to coach and I also supervise counselors. Our natural inclination is to listen for the person to stop talking so we can jump in with what we want to say. And so I'm often talking about listening for understanding of what the other person's really saying. You can't formulate a response until you've really tried to settle into what do these words mean to that person. It sounds like with your poetry and everything else that you do, you really are a master of listening, which is a high order skill in the field of my made up word, relationshiping. It's a high level skill in the field of relationshiping. So thank you so much for that, Sporty. Mm-hmm. Now, I know you, like me, have no military background. And so I'm curious, what is it like for you to speak to a military audience? Was that a smooth transition for you or was that difficult? It was a combination of both. But let me take a step back because one of the things that you just said, see, I was listening for you to finish and I didn't cut in. But I have a term that I use called listening for the period. Ah, yeah, I love- and you were, you did, you listened for my period. Right. But some people, like you say, they're just listening so they can jump in. They don't hear anything else you say. That one part that you said they disagree with. So now they want to hear the period that you're finished so that they can get the opinion in. That's what I laugh about. Oh yeah, that's right. Those are the people who just listen for the period. Don't hear a word you say. Right. <laughs> they just want right. to know you're finished. But it's important to listen for it. And then, like you say, have the understanding. Let people finish what they're saying. One of my principles I call sportyisms. Sportyism number three, again, when I started my business was listen to the paragraph, not the sentence. Mm. Allow people to finish what they're saying before you judge the content of what they're saying. That goes right into what you're talking about with how you do your coaching. I think it also connects to empathy because if you listen to what someone says, there's a distinction between empathy and sympathy. I don't feel sorry for somebody. I feel more, I understand where you're coming from. And now that's where, again, the master of listening or your coaching, that's where that comes in. Because imagine it when you're talking to your clients or participants or friends and they say something and then you come back and it's like, you didn't hear a word I said, did you? (laughs) Right. It's so true. I deal a lot in conflict. I do diversity workshops and I work with couples who are struggling with one another. Even in our crazy, divided, chaotic political climate, 
if you actually listen for understanding to what the other side is saying, you can understand where they're coming from. It doesn't mean you're going to think the same way, but you could say to yourself, man, if I were raised in that environment, if I had this shade of color to my skin, if I lived this particular life, this time of evolution in society might feel threatening to me as well. It really helps bridge the gap that exists when people disagree. Same thing with couples when they're disagreeing. They don't even try to understand the side of the other person because they're so firm in what they know to be truth that they can't seem to make room that there might be another version of the truth for a different person based on who they are. This whole topic of listening, it may end up being the title of our podcast together because as you've said, listening is such an important skill and I wouldn't put a period after it. I would put a couple explanation points after it. You got that so. right. When we were getting ready to be on the podcast and you said, oh, I got a lot of things going. I said, that's a blessing. If you're running around a lot of circles, ladies and gentlemen, that's a good sign that you're getting things done that are on your list. If you have too short of a list, then, you know, you're getting too much done. <laughs> Amen to that. I guess my list is long enough. I have never said to myself in recent times, oh, I'm all done. I never go to sleep without something left on the list for tomorrow and the next day and the next day, right? There's always more to do. And then lie before you lie down, right? Because I said, oh, no, I'm going to remember that. Let me lie. And then I should have written it down. But if I write it down, then I'm going to stay up. Well, let me add just one more thing. And so, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. But I was saying that to say, writing where we're talking about being right or wrong and the military, one of the things that I do in my presentations, I open up by actually, I say, let's take attendance here. How many of your uncles? I go uncles first because I'm an uncle. And then I actually ask them, how many are aunts? How many are the oldest child? How many are parents? Oldest child, middle child, youngest child, only child, however many categories I want to use. I'll then say to them, whichever categories you just pick, those are the eyes. That's the lens through which you look at the world. As you can see, I look at the world through the eyes of an uncle, single, middle child, and now I'm the oldest child. That's how I look at the world. We can never have 100% compliance because everyone's looking at the world through their own lens. Then I show them a slide of a cartoon with two guys standing above a number. The number looks like a six to me, but it looks like a nine to you. Right depends on whether you're on the six side of the nine or the nine side of the six. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I remember having an experience like that when I was touring the outback of Australia. We're in the desert at Ayers Rock and it's raining. And the very few people who actually live near there were coming out of their homes and they were dancing in the street to the rain because it doesn't rain there. It's like a miracle event when it rains and they're so happy for the rain. And I think, who do I know in the United States that gets happy when it's a rainy day? It's almost guaranteed you're going to go into your quote unquote seasonal affective disorder. It's a gloomy day. I have to be sad today. I experience the joy of people who actually appreciate the rain. So it's like even rain is not inherently a bad thing. Talk to people who live in a drought area and they're going to be dancing in the streets too when it rains. 
It really is an interesting thing how we have so many lenses that create such diversity in the world. And if only my hope and wish for the world is that we learn how to coexist and not have to make each other right and wrong, because that is the downfall. That's where violence comes in, because Mm -hmm. I have to hurt you if you don't think like I do. And some people Mm -hmm. even go as far as to say, I have to kill you if you don't think like I do. You don't deserve to live. Just being able to work to understand other people doesn't mean you have to agree with them. You can still hold your opinions, but just work to understand them and you can develop some empathy and compassion and understanding and be able to hold a space that this is my truth, this is your truth, and that's okay. It is. Sometimes I think it's hard for people to do that, not to give them an alibi, but behavior is learned, as is racism, as is love as is compassion. When I hear people say, oh my God, these children of today mm, are related to the children of yesterday. Let's not blame the kids. They have no attention span. Look at it. They have 3,000 stations and they got the remote. Guess who didn't invent the remote? These (laughs) kids of today. So true. And I think every generation, as they get into their older years, have been heard saying, those darn kids. And I promised myself when I got to be older that I wouldn't do that. And I haven't done that yet. I see differences with younger generation and it makes me curious and want to understand it. It's like, yeah, I see that you're all in a group and you're out together having fun. But yet I see every one of you is on your mobile device and you're not talking. You're talking to each other. But on the phone, I'm, I'm curious about that. It's just mm-hmm. what they do. It doesn't mm-hmm. make it wrong. It just makes it different. It goes well with our original topic, self-development. They both go together. My affirmation for self is S-E-L-F, self-esteem, love's foundation. You have to believe in yourself. You have to trust yourself. You have to be into yourself so that you can have love to give to someone else. When I see someone, especially if I'm speaking and someone says, oh, they're on the cell phones while you're speaking, that's disrespectful. I say, no. I said, number one, the way I look at things is they're on that cell phone. Oh, this guy is knocking it out of the park. You should be there. They could be texting somebody about how good I'm going. It's perception and perspective of who I am. Why would I put the blame on them if I think my message is sketchy? That's not their fault. If my message is sketchy, I don't blame them for getting on the cell phone and playing a video game. But if what I'm saying is reaching or resonating, they may be taking notes because they don't have a piece of paper and a pencil. Again, there's that perception. We learn to be negative on ourselves and then we put it on somebody else. Yes, sir. (laughs) Yes, sir. I remember speaking to a military audience and I was told by the event planner that the audience needs to be attentive. And if you find someone on their cell phone, alert one of the people in uniform and they will go address that person. I didn't like that because I thought if I have a problem with somebody, I should address it myself. That was my first thought. And my second thought was, I don't know that I want to be on somebody about being on their cell phone because what do I know why they're on there? Maybe one of their children is in trouble and just reached out for them. Who knows? But I was teaching about stress and they were working in small groups. And there was this one person that was just on his phone and he wasn't participating. 
I didn't alert a uniformed officer. I approached the table to see what was happening. And when I got close to him, I saw on his phone, he was looking up the signs and causes of stress, which was exactly their task and what they were supposed to be doing. He was using his phone as a resource. And I am just so, this was early on, but I have always been relieved that I did not go to a uniform to have Mm -hmm. them go and chastise that person for using their phone because he really was on task. We have to check our own assumptions about things also, listening to the stories that we have in our own head that may or may not be true and challenging those. Not to go story for story with you, but that's the beauty of these podcasts and of our relationship, Kim. I'm so glad to be on with you. I had one in my early Yellow Ribbons. I had a session I created called How to Get an F in Life. And Mm -hmm. all my Fs were positive, focus, faith, fun, friends, and freedom. And then each F was then also broken down into an affirmation. So the first one was focus. Finding ourselves creates unlimited success. We had an audience of 300 and I gave each table of 10, one of the Fs. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you 10 minutes and you need to tell me what that F means to your life. Why is it important to have focus, to have faith, to have fun, to have friends? So I'm walking around while they're doing the exercise and I come up behind an airman and it's a young lady and she has actually written on her. She wrote the word fart and she's at the focus table. The table is looking at me like, ooh, the teacher caught you writing something. Meanwhile, I'm thinking they're probably also saying, okay, Mr. Positive, now what you're going to do? You just caught her not paying attention, writing fart. And so I looked over her shoulder and she saw me and she was gassed and I said, Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Fart. F-A-R-T. Fully able to retract our thoughts. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's so important that you think about what you say before you come out and say, and I, you know, (laughs) and, and I just did that right there. And then they cracked up laughing. Here's the blessing. I ended up talking to the meeting planner afterwards, similar to what your, your situation. And the meeting planner told me that she thanked me. She said, because that airman was just brought back after only five months in Afghanistan because her fiance stateside took his life by suicide. And this was the most interactive that airman had been since she had been back. Mm-hmm. And here's one more notch in the blessing. And again, that's why I'm so glad to hear how you handled it. Because as it turns out, the airman's last name, let's say, was Farkle. And her nickname in her unit was Fart. Mm. And so she was in the focus group, finding ourselves, creates unlimited success, focus on you and that other people come into focus. She was focused on who was she in her group. She was Fart. According to her inner circle and her friends, she was focusing, following the instructions and engaged, more engaged than as an outsider, I would have thought if I had chosen, like you say, no, whoa, she's not following my instructions. No, ladies and gentlemen, that's what self is all about. It's what conversation is going on in your head. And in my head, I didn't see somebody not paying attention. I saw somebody that as I walked up to her, I didn't even walk up to her trying to catch her. I was actually just walking around to all the tables. Yeah. You could block your own blessing by deciding that you're going to discipline someone else. That's true. We have a saying in choice theory where we say, unhappy people evaluate others, happy people evaluate themselves. I love that. 
Self-evaluation is the key to getting along with others, but it's also the key to self-discovery. How can you discover yourself if you don't evaluate yourself? And I don't mean evaluate critically. I just mean look at what are you good at and what would you like to improve and what are you okay being a dimwit about? I don't know how to change the oil on my car. And you know what? I don't want to know how to change the oil on my car. I'm happy to go to a garage and pay somebody else to do that. Not something I need to know. But there's lots of things that I do know, and there's lots of things that I want to know. So those are the things that I'll focus on. When other people evaluate you, this would be my suggestion to anybody who's listening. It doesn't mean that you automatically discount what other people say, but don't just wholeheartedly embrace what other people say about you because they don't know your whole story. If somebody says something, you need to determine, well, is there any truth in that? And what do I want to do about that? And if there's no truth in it, let it go. Let it go. It's not for you. That says more about that other person than it does about you. Yeah. Even when we talk about empathy, I don't like to use the absolute words, never and always, but I actually never say to someone, I know what you're going through. I've been in your shoes because, no, I say to them, I have no idea what you're going through because I've never been in your shoes, but I sat in your row. Because all of us have been through something and are going through something. That's the empathy that I have. And I'm willing to say, okay, I don't I don't get that. Even with, like you say, when I first started with the military, I'm like, what am I going to say? I don't have a military background. I'm not going to say to these soldiers and airmen and sailors, what am I going to say? After going to a first event, because we had on-the-job training, I said, wait a minute. They don't need me to make them better soldiers and warriors and sailors and airmen. They need me to make them better people. These are a bunch of 20 and 30 years old and some 40s that need some guidance, some life, some choices. All of this stuff comes back together. But I was used to what I saw on the media or in the movies that the military people, these Rambo type tough guys, and we even give them the title, the hero. We give them the title. And so we think of a hero as this big guy. And then when I go to thinking, I'm like, whoa, here's somebody who joined the military because maybe they couldn't get a job. I even joke with them sometimes. I said, look, some of you, you didn't join the fight. You joined to get the GI Bill. And they crack up laughing. (laughs) That was my son. He wanted his college paid for, but he also wanted to go fight in Iraq. And he got both wishes. (laughs) Thank you for that. It was intimidating for me when I first got the news that, yes, we won the contract because we were on the contract team. I had nothing to do with doing the bidding. I just was, hey, would you like to be on the team? And so once I heard, I'm like, yeah. And then it was like, oh, whoa, we won. Ooh, now what am I going to (laughs) do? Right. That has been a total blessing in my life to be able to talk to them about being people. And as we talked about in the introduction, better citizens, better employees, better parents, better siblings. If you think about it, all of us are in the business of making someone better at one of those categories or all four of them. Yeah. Nice. I hate to look at the clock and say that our time is coming to an end, but I did look at the clock and I do have an appointment at the top of the hour. Okay. I want to ask you one more question, which is, of all the choices you've made in your life, will you share one that has had a significant positive impact for you? I think the choice to, it's a combination to trust myself. It was a choice that I made early. I made it actually when I was 14. I won a scholarship to go to a private high school. It's called an ABC. It's a program that's still alive. It's called A Better Chance. 
It sent me to an all-boys Jesuit prep school in Massachusetts. I didn't know it at the time, but I didn't fight it. I was one of seven African-American students in a 200-student population. My second year, one of five. My third year, one of three. But it was always an experience that I just loved having it. And I heard you mention earlier talking about diversity training. That's kind of what brought that to my mind. I was doing diversity training at 14 because I learned from going to school with a lot of rich kids that they were kids. A lot of them, I had them say to me, oh, my, you know what? You're the first Black person I ever met as a friend. They didn't say it in a nasty way. It was just such a discovery. We were all in discovery mode. We were kids. Yeah. Imagine I'm in my 60s, but if I met someone in my 40s, if someone in their 40s has that same conversation, it could be confrontational. I didn't know Black people could be friendly. When someone said that to me at 14, it was like, really? Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. Tell me about where you grew up. That, to me, was just one of the greatest choices. I won the scholarship, but I chose to take it. You can turn down the scholarship. <laughs> can. Yeah. You surely can. And you can go well, and then not embrace the lessons that are going to be, the life's lessons going to be uh, there for you. So true. And I love that story. I got a little side chuckle out of it because as you call yourself the master of listening, I've always thought of you as the master of acronyms. And your school was an acronym. A better choice, ABC. Are you kidding me? You don't come by that by accident. It's just so funny to me that that was true. Sporty, do you have anything coming up that you'd like to tell our audience about? No, because I am happily in what I call semi-retirement mode. <laughs> oh, good for yeah. you. Yeah, Very if I have good. a speaking engagement, I'm working. If I don't, I'm retired. <laughs> All right. I love that. I'm not there yet. If anybody wanted to reach out to you for more information, where would they find you? Sportyking.com. Okay. All right. Excellent. I really appreciate you joining us today, Sporty. I love being in your audience while listening to you speak. So it was great having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Same here, Kim. Bless you. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. I also hope you'll join me next week when we'll be continuing the topic of self-discovery with Beth Romero. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.